Today on Blue 58, the Packers always seem to do pretty well with their undrafted free agents. So what do we make of this year's crop? Well, it's a pretty small group, but I think at least one guy has a real shot to be a real contributor this year. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. It's an exciting time of year, no matter what's going on. Uh, in the quarterback room at 1265 Lombardi Avenue because a lot of new guys are making their way to their NFL teams, and I think that's a lot of fun. And today we get to talk about undrafted free agents and the Packers' undrafted free agent class. But before we do, I want to take a second and talk just briefly about what's going on with Aaron Rodgers. I think that more so than when we went through this with Brett Favre, there is a significant undercurrent of fans that are saying, or may not be saying, I don't care who the starting quarterback is, I just want football to get back. And it's hard to be that kind of fan. It's really, really difficult to kind of divest yourself from these conversations that are going on in the NFL right now. And unfortunately, this just being the way this sort of world operates, we're going to have to talk about it sooner or later. The next episode of Blue 58, I think I'm going to devote pretty much entirely to the story so far on Aaron Rodgers. And who knows what's going to happen between now and then. But I want to say this to you if you are someone who, like me, is already a little bit tired of this entire conversation. First, I hear you. I get it. It's kind of exhausting, isn't it? It's really frustrating to watch all of this go on. You can be Team Rodgers. You can be Team Packers. You can be Team... I think there's blame to go around on both sides. And no matter whose team you're on, there's you're on. there's a good chance you're already pretty exhausted by this conversation, and I do not blame you one bit. So, so if you are one of those people, I just want to say it's okay to just say, I'm just going to tap out of this. Wake me up when it's over. Tell me what the Packers got if they traded Aaron Rodgers. Tell me how they smoothed it over if they didn't. And we'll go on with the season. But don't feel obligated to get caught up in the drama. I've found myself having to intentionally unplug from social media and reading the Packers just because I I get worked up a little bit just by the the frustration of he said, she said, uh, Brian Gutekunst says this, Aaron Rodgers reportedly, allegedly, maybe possibly says this. And then people misinterpreting those things or interpreting them correctly, but leaving out small details. It just gets so tiring. So if you are tired of that already, I understand. And I just want to give you that permission to just step away from that conversation. Because ultimately, the Packers are going to play this fall whether it's with Aaron Rodgers or Jordan Love or somebody else, they're going to play this fall. And if you'd rather just pick up then, I think that's okay. So let's talk about undrafted free agents. Overall impressions of this class, the seven guys the Packers have brought in, it's a bit big guy heavy. Three offensive linemen, a defensive lineman, And an edge kind of looking guy who might end up, or who formerly played on the defensive line. A lot of big bodies in this class. A little bit surprised there has been no running back so far. 
little bit surprised, only one wide receiver. A little bit surprised, no linebackers. Usually it seems like the Packers like to pick up one sort of tweener um, linebacker who's really good at one testing sort of thing. Like he has a really good 40 time or something like that, or he's just an unusually good tackler, has a has a, a lot of, of tackles in his college career, something like that, has one unusual attribute, but none of those so far. No quarterbacks either, although I bet that's going to change at one point. The Packers signed 15 undrafted free agents last year, just seven this time around. Packers did have nine draft picks. That's one more than last year, so that is, does give them a slight reason to have fewer undrafted free agents around. But I think more to the point, the the Packers already showed us what they thought about this year's draft class with, with how they handled their roster at the end of the year. They signed a bunch of guys to reserve futures prospect or pro, uh, contracts. They bought a bunch of guys forward from the practice squad. They still have a couple of roster spots open on top of that. They pretty much knew what they were getting into this weekend, and as we've heard over the weeks leading up to the draft, this was both a pretty small class, only 600-some guys in it to begin with, and a fairly weak class overall. I wouldn't be surprised, and I said this going back to the draft, um, or going back to just before the draft, that on the one hand, you may have a bunch of teams that end up getting three or four or four or five or even five or six guys that end up being like B to B plus NFL players. I also wouldn't be surprised if we saw some teams as with the 2015 draft class where teams just end up basically whiffing entirely. (coughs) Cough, Packers, cough. 2015 was a rough year for the Packers. Uh, Demarius Randall, uh, Quentin Rollins, uh, Brett Hundley, just to name a few. That draft class tapped out pretty quickly. Wouldn't be surprised if we saw a few of those this year. So we, I guess, shouldn't be surprised that the Packers only come out of this weekend with seven undrafted free agents, and it could be up to nine. Uh, But we'll see what happens with those open open roster spots. Let's talk about the guys themselves. Starting with offensive lineman Jacob Capra, six foot five, three hundred pounds, out of San Diego State. This dude's way off the map. No write-up in Dane Brugler's Monster Draft Guide. No write-up in the 600-page-plus Sports Information Solutions Draft Guide. No data from the Pro Football Focus Big Board. Guy's a bit of a mystery. Played three seasons at Oregon before transferring to San Diego State. There is a little bit to like about him, though. He made starts in his career at left tackle, right tackle, and guard. Also, a bit of an aside... He was working on a degree that could come in handy in Green Bay. He he was working on a master's degree in Homeland Security and Conflict Resolution. Just a little added bonus there from your free agent offensive lineman. Don't like his athleticism a whole lot. Just a 4-1-2 relative athletic score. That probably in and of itself explains why he didn't get drafted. But the fact that he can play a bunch of positions might, uh, might earn him a spot in Green Bay. It might just put them on the more developmental side of things. But there's room for guys like that around too. You can't ever have too many offensive line prospects around. So who does he remind me of? I think he's probably this year's Simon Stepanak, developmental prospect with upside. But he is also not coming off of an injury. So that makes him, or that puts him at least a little bit ahead of the curve from where 
uh, the Packers draft pick from last year was. Next up, Coy Cronk, another offensive lineman out of Iowa slash Indiana. Another one who's real big, 6'4", 318, but another one who's also pretty far off the map. Like Capra, no write-up from uh, Mr. Dane Brugler, no write-up in Sports Information Solution, no data from the Pro Football Focus Big Board. Hmm. Four years in Indiana, then transferred to Iowa after a bad injury in 2019. And bad news for Kronk, he aggravated the same injury and missed most of 2020 as well. I do, however, like his long-term experience. So this is something we talked about with Josh Myers, just as a for instance, and something we've kind of had as a soft item, I guess, in our draft considerations over the years. I think it's good to target guys who have a lot of playing experience. And my and uh, Kronk has that. He started at Indiana as a true freshman. Now, Indiana is not a football powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination, but starting at a Big Ten school as a true freshman is not inconsiderable either. What you don't like about him is his injury histories. Two big injuries, or rather two versions of one injury, is a pretty big red flag. And the Packers have a couple of those guys in their undrafted free agent class. So uh, with that said, Kronk comes to mind or brings to mind Don Barclay, a bit of a bad body dude, a big heavy offensive lineman, uh, can probably fill in on the right side at tackle if you need to, but probably moving inside to guard lower your expectations uh, for the undrafted free agent offensive linemen. Most of them are going to need a little bit of seasoning, and they may never get there. Speaking of, uh, John Dietzen out of Wisconsin, 6'5", 312. Again, way off the map, no write-up from any of those sources that we talked about. But uh, we like his versatility. I like his versatility. Already doing the tackle-to-guard switch was Wisconsin's starting left tackle way back once upon a time. Incidentally, uh, Cole Van Lannan, the Packers' 2020, uh, 2021 sixth-round pick, uh, filled in for Dietzen after he left the program briefly in 2018. And that brings us to what we don't like maybe so much about Mr. Dietzen. He has an extensive injury history already, retired after the 2018 season due to a bunch of nagging injuries. And boy, do I ever understand that. You see that happening with a fair bit of regularity, especially among offensive linemen. Guys just at varying points, you know, never the one huge injury, though that does happen for some guys, obviously, but just an ankle here, and it lingers. A shoulder there, and it lingers. A hip injury, and it lingers. And pretty soon, you're just dealing with constant pain, ankle, shoulder, hip, all the time, because as an offensive lineman, you're just getting beat on constantly. And I don't blame guys like Dietzen that after a while that just say, to heck with it. I'm done. I just don't want to do this anymore. And he did that, sat out all of 2019, then came back for 2020, uh, bumped inside and started next to uh, Van Lannan at at left guard. I don't know who he reminds me of. Pick a low-level, fairly athletic lineman. Maybe an extremely poor man's TJ Lang, uh, who also did that same kind of switch. Uh, But Lang, obviously a much better prospect there. But um, you know, pretty good athlete in the process of making that switch from tackle to guard and uh, has shown that he can do it at a fairly high-level college program. If you're going to roll the dice on somebody, might as well roll the dice on somebody like that. 
Bailey Gaither brings us one of our only skill position players in this class. In fact, the only offensive skill position player. Six foot tall, 188 pounds out of San Jose State. Almost all the way off the map, like a couple of the guys that we've talked about. No Brugler write-up, no pro football focus, but he is ranked as the 46th of 48 receivers in this year's class by Sports Information Solution. What you got to like about Gaither is, weirdly, he is kind of a deep threat. You wouldn't expect it with his testing numbers, but his average depth of target at San Jose State, according to Sports Information Solutions, is 15.6 yards. Pretty far down there, Mr. Gaither. He averaged 12.1 yards per target in 2019. That's nothing to sneeze at. There's a good chance as well that he was held back by his quarterback play. Now, I'm not saying Gaither is just some bulletproof prospect that was overlooked because his quarterbacks were a bunch of bums, but consider this. In 2019, he had 100 targets come his way. He only had 52 catches, but according to charting data from Sports Information Solution, only 48 of those passes that went by the wayside Of those 48, only seven were drops by Gaither. You do the math there. So, 100 targets, 52 catches, seven drops. That's another 41 that are entirely unaccounted for. Huh. Doesn't seem like it was his fault that he was not catching a ton of passes with regularity at San Jose State. What I don't like about him is that he is very slightly built. I actually misstated his uh, his weight earlier. He's only 182 pounds at six feet tall, not 188. And that's interesting because Amari Rogers, the Packers' third round pick, is three inches shorter at 5'9", and 30 pounds heavier at 212 pounds. Human morphology is something to behold. He reminds me a little bit of Alex Gillette, the former Eastern Michigan quarterback that switched to wide receiver, then hung around in the Packers practice squad for a couple of years in that position, actually sported number one for the Packers in preseason. Um, probably never going to make it, but you never know. Um, and with a guy who's getting downfield with regularity, you can roll the dice. Jack Heflin, a defensive lineman out of Iowa, is our next prospect. 6'3", 304 pounds, finished his career at Iowa after four years at Northern Illinois, then moved uh, to the Hawkeyes uh, as a grad transfer. Like his size, 6'3", 6'4", 304 is not huge, but still fairly beefy. A pretty decent pressure rate, too. 13% of his rushes his final year at Northern Illinois resulted in a pressure uh, Fell to 8% at Iowa, but was playing a slightly different role there. He is not much of an athlete, though. He's testing at the very low end of the relative athletic score scale. I think we're looking at another another plugger here, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but that's a tough thing to be at just 304 pounds. So unlike TJ Slate in the Packers' monster draft pick, uh, Heflin is a little bit on the smaller side. Uh, for the role he projects to play in the NFL. Carlo Kemp, another bit of a mystery in terms of size, listed as a linebacker by the Packers, and that could mean a couple different things. It could be an off-the-ball linebacker, think like Blake Martinez-type role, or it could mean that he's an edge rusher, which is probably uh, considerably more likely. In fact, I would go so far as to say that is definitely what the Packers are thinking because he is 6 feet 3 inches tall and 281 pounds coming out of Michigan. No write-up by Mr. Dane Brugler. Pro Football Focus says he's an edge, 
uh, and Sports Information Solutions says he is a defensive tackle. They wonder if he's going to end up as a three technique in the NFL. But I think we can put the pieces together here and figure out what the Packers are thinking. Because I think one of the things you can like about Kemp is that he has interior pass rushing experience. He may not play defensive tackle in the NFL, but he will probably end up getting some looks playing a poor man's version of the Zadarius Smith role. So Zadarius Smith will line up as an edge rusher, a stand-up, you know, two-point pass rusher frequently, but he will also bump inside on passing downs and put his hands on the ground or just as a stand-up rusher uh, from like a more traditional defensive tackle position. Kemp is a little bit heavier, but not much heavier than Zadarius Smith is. Maybe that's what the Packers are thinking here. The problem is he wasn't very good at doing that. He had worse pressure numbers than Jack Heflin, and now, I mean, understandably, he's a little bit smaller, but rushing from the inside at Michigan, he was not getting home all that much. So you can try him at that. He hasn't shown that he's very good at doing it in the past, but you can certainly try, um, and that's probably what the Packers are thinking. Long-term developmental prospect here, though, because... Uh, it's going to be it's going to be a bumpy road here, I think, for Carlo Kemp. What does he remind me of? Uh, probably a Vic Soto type, a thicker edge rusher, not super rangy. Probably just going to be a power rusher, if anything. And look, you can get by doing just that, and you need somebody to set the edge. And again, I would remind people, we don't really know what Joe Barry's um, defensive fronts are going to look like. We get that he's from the Brandon Staley, Vic Fangio scheme. We get that he's got a bit of a Wade Phillips background. We get that he wants to have uh, a penetrating front four or front seven or, or whatever. But it was pretty vague in terms of what his actual strategy is going to be with the Packers uh, in his introductory press conference. And look, you don't expect him to come out and give away the crown jewels. But uh, we're going to have to see it to see what um, some of these roles are going to be. So uh, it's a bit of a projection is what I'm saying with um, with some of these guys. Finally, Christian Uphoff, uh, a safety out of Illinois State, rounds out the Packers' undrafted free agent class. In the intro, I teased that I thought there was one guy that I thought could have a real shot to be a contributor this year, and that, to me, is Christian Uphoff. Six foot three, 209 pounds out of Illinois State, easily, easily the most highly touted undrafted free agent in the Packers' class this year. Uh, barring some weird late addition uh, later on. Uh, he was Dane Brugler's 21st rated safety. He was Pro Football Focus's 187th best player in the class, basically a fifth-round pick, if you just go by how the picks shake out. He was ranked 24 of 30 safeties by Sports Information Solutions. The 23rd best safety was a guy we had as a Tier 1 prospect in our uh, safety pre- uh, preview, a divine Diablo out of Virginia Tech. They had, in fact, the exact same final prospect grade by Sports Information Solutions. You got to like the traits uh, by Mr. Uphoff. Um, 63209 isn't enormous for safety, but it is pretty big, a little bit lighter than divine Diablo to con- continue that, uh, that comparison. You also like his productivity. Uh, 21 career ball hawks. Couldn't find a coverage grade on him, but good chance uh, he'd have hit at least two of the three on our safety rubric. In fact, I'm uh, looking at some of his scouting reports. I'd be terribly surprised if his coverage grade in college was lower than uh, than a 75, lower than the, the cutoff for guys that we wanted. So he'd have been at least a tier three guy. Uh, may have jumped all the way up to tier one had he had a slightly better relative athletic score. 
but you don't like or you have some concerns about his athleticism. He did not test well, but some caveats there. He told Bob McGinn of The Athletic that he hurt his hamstring before his pro day, so he didn't run well as a result. Plus, the weather at his pro day was not good, which tamped down his performance a little bit. This, ironically, shows us a little bit of the value of the NFL Combine. If everybody's testing under the same conditions, you can't have issues like the weather playing a factor. If everybody's going to go on the same day or the same group of two or three days in the same facility on the same field, at least you're testing in a controlled environment. The 40-yard dash may not tell you all that much about what a guy is going to do in the NFL, but at least everybody's got to line up and run the 40 yards on the same surface, in the same building, under the same conditions. I think that's fair. I think everybody kind of understands that. Other than that, I really have no concerns. And real, and look, he's a, a low-level prospect, but he's a pretty clean-looking prospect for an undrafted free agent. And he reminds me a lot of Vernon Scott and Henry Black, uh, a seventh-round pick and undrafted free agent, respectively, last year. The Packers are adding a bunch of interesting safety prospects while spending very little. And sooner or later, one of these guys could very well turn into something, if nothing else, they're going to have a bunch of really solid um, rotational backup safeties and special teamers, and that is not necessarily a bad thing to have. So those are your free agents. Pretty good, pretty small, pretty, well, pretty small in terms of numbers, but pretty big in terms of bodies, free agent class. I think there's a very limited chance that anybody outside of Uphoff really has a shot at making an impact this year, but you never know. And we do know that the Packers do have some room to maneuver yet. So we'll see what happens. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you in this episode. Appreciate you listening in. I appreciate you uh, even more if you will take a second and share this podcast with someone you think would enjoy it. Because that is the number one way that this show has grown over the years. Listeners just like you telling other people who may be interested in listening that it's a good show and worth listening to. So if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and do that. That, of course, like I always say, is going to help us continue to grow this conversation we're having about the Packers and ultimately help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.